In the last couple of days, we've seen 14 million ounces of silver in JP Morgan's vault transfer from eligible to registered. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics on an active Tuesday morning in the gold and silver and financial markets. And fortunately, once again, joined by Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin for this week's physical silver report. A lot happening in the silver world, especially over the past couple of days. We see these thousand ounce bars behind me and some of them are moving around, which we will dig into as well as getting an update on premiums and covering a few other things. And with that said, Andy, it's a pleasure to welcome you on in as always each week. And how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, brother. It's always good to be here. Good to see your face. I can't wait to see you in person here pretty quick. I know you're on your trek down this way, so it's been too long, but never, uh, never, never something that uh, won't be embraced. I can't wait to see you. So uh, glad to be here, buddy. Well, we've been driving around, uh, dodging hurricane reports and maybe a flat tire too, but all good stuff. And uh, although people don't want to hear about that, I think what everyone is probably already seen by the time this airs in a couple of hours is that we did have nice little spike here in the silver and gold prices. Silver up 40 cents on the Kitco chart. We see gold had sold off uh, around six o'clock this morning. Nice little V-shape and then spiking back up. And as we take a look, we can see the dollar spike down. Looks like this move largely driven by a much weaker than expected consumer confidence number that came out at 10 a.m. Um, but in net, interesting, uh, once again, now if we go back to the beginning of the year, seeing silver around 2430 level, back into positive territory. Might not feel like that to a lot of people. It's been a volatile year with a lot of ups and downs, but uh, why don't we start there and just any thoughts you have on this morning's move or elsewise or things that you are seeing out there in the silver market today? Yeah, you know, I, I two things come to mind immediately. One is that the people in this country or the markets rather work too much in terms of the immediate information. You know, it's what just happened, what's happening right now, it, it ignores the very big picture. I wonder, you know, does the fact that the commercial banks are net long in the silver futures for the first time in a very long time has anything to do with these types of moves? Is this the beginning of a substantive move? A lot of us have been waiting for or, or assuming would have happened a long time ago. I'm not sure. But is the nature of this market where there, where there is a piece of information that comes out like consumer confidence fell? Well, duh. You know, you can see that we're in a period of time where there's strain on the consumer with inflation and higher prices and, you know, the economy slowing down in a very big way. But is that enough to make silver go skyward? Question is, do they, does the conventional wisdom, does that say, well, worse than expected consumer sentiment. So silver should go to the moon. In other words, is there something behind the scenes that is bigger than that information or is that information, you know, is that information kind of the cover to, to run for showing the positioning of the commercial banks in a very bullish stance? So I've been expecting this blow off and I think it's going to continue to go higher in my own opinion, based upon the positioning of where the most informed traders in the world are and that is net long in, in futures so yeah 
whatever the reason is, I'm glad to see it. It's long overdue. And I would anticipate that this run is not over yet. I think it's just beginning. Okay. And something that you said in there reminds me of a topic we covered about a month or two ago here on the show. This is a very unofficial analysis, yet something that I've thought about over the past months and years where just in terms of blow off top, as you mentioned, here we have the silver chart going back to the mid 70s. And obviously on the gold side, we've seen as money printing and debt loads have accelerated, the gold price has gone up with that. Whereas silver, a lot of people saying, all right, well, here's silver, the inflation hedge, still half of its uh, 1980 and 2011 highs. Although something that I've at least considered is that if you look at the move in 1980, obviously you had big inflation uh, leading up in the 70s. I don't think the Hunt Brothers explains that entire move because, again, you had gold spike up in 1980 and the Hunt Brothers weren't uh, taking large delivery of gold contracts. Um, but you had enough concern that Paul Volcker had to do something that was pretty unprecedented back then that I don't think many people expected would actually take place. So you could say that the fear gauge perhaps went up quite a bit then. And similarly in 2011, when they were launching QE2, a lot of people's thinking, hey, well, this doesn't sound so ideal with all that debt monetization. So what would you say if you considered those two silver's response to the fear gauge spiking in the markets? Because if you take out those spikes, you can see that the curve here, and again, this is very unofficial or unmathematical, but without those two spikes, silver not entirely dissimilar from a gold curve where you see it really starting to escalate over the past 20 years. Obviously the two spikes to $50 are an important part of silver. And that's something that drew a lot of people's attention. Yet when we're sitting here today with almost $25 silver, that's actually on the higher end. I mean, you take out this spike in uh, 2011 and we're basically at the highs all time of silver historically so long question here but what would you say that maybe silver is doing its job and in terms of inflation and it's really when there's a, a panic or a fear gauge set off in the market that leads to those spikes which again is something that you know if we look a little longer term ahead about the situation with the fed and the debt loads is something that in time people might be concerned about uh, maybe might not happen today or tomorrow, but any thoughts on just that sort of approach in silver? Yeah, well, let's go back to 1980 first when Volcker raised rates to, you know, almost 19%. We also didn't have the debt burden that we did back then. So he had tools in his quote unquote toolbox enable, enabling him to raise rates high enough to bring into effect the term Gibson's paradox, which is the inverse relationship between real interest rates and the price of gold. You know, the real interest rates in the United States right now may be 1%, real, and that's if you believe the CPI gauge. I mean, we're very, very close to zero or 1% in terms of real interest rates. But back in 1980, when the inflation measurement was actually fairly accurate, uh, we, we had a real interest rate environment of after he raised rates to, you know, three, 4%, which 
certainly was better. But the point of it is, is that we didn't have the debt burden that put the massive strain on the government. And when you can earn 18 or 19 percent and put it into treasuries with safety, the rule of 70 seconds would tell you in three and a half years, you double your money. That would be the death knell for things like gold and silver that don't pay a coupon. When you look at 2011, you still had optimism in what the United States was all about. And when you talk about the growth of debt since 2011, I mean, look at the amount of debt and the amount of money printing that has happened just in the four, last four years. So I'm not saying we didn't have a substantial debt in 2011, but my guess is it was probably the national debt was probably somewhere between 17 and 20 trillion. And here we are right now with, you know, 50% greater addition to the debt and accelerating. So the point I'm getting at is that the, the ability to mitigate the rise in gold and silver, which would, which would really be the antithesis of the Western system. You know, the, the Western system has suppressed gold and silver forever to support the bond market, to create the illusion of, of strength in a dollar and in a system that perhaps was starting to show cracks. And in 1980, it was easy to brush off. In 2011, it, was, it wasn't easy, but it was easier to brush off than it is now, where you have an increasing debt burden. And as rates rise high enough, you blow up the entire system. So they don't have those tools in their toolbox anymore. And the fact that it is slowly, methodically rising to me is much, much, much more encouraging than something that goes straight up to the moon in a hockey stick fashion immediately because those runs are typically never sustained. You want to see something slow and methodical that continues to build. And to your point, which is very, very, um, um, it's articulate and it's also, um, the word I'm looking for is escaping me. It's very, you're, it's very thought provoking as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, it, it just shows that you're looking at this the right way. You're right. If you go back and look, you've never seen silver move in this way where it continues to move higher and higher and higher and backfill and higher and higher and backfill. Typically, we see these massive spike moves, but I think it's more encouraging to see it this way. When you put into the equation that the commercial banks are now net long. Now, does that mean that they'll be net long and that they won't short a rising price? That's really where the rubber meets the road is that if the commercial banks do not short this market as it continues to move higher, then we know it's the real deal because that's been their mantra. They're the only idiots, and they're not really idiots because they have enough money and they know what they're doing to short a rising market. Typically, you short a falling market. Shorting a rising market tells me that they are trying to manipulate the, the managed money again. They've hoodwinked the managed money into going very, very, very short. And when you look at the amount of silver that is literally disappearing um, off of COMEX and off of SLV, when you read the ETF uh, uh, BlackRock or the uh, SLV ETF prospectus and look at the note that BlackRock sent out a couple of years ago, they said, hey, by the way, you know, for all of you that decide to short SLV, there could become a time where you can't get the bars to cover it. Uh, and kind of a, a warning in the sands, if you will. We are entering a period of time where being short in this market is incredibly dangerous. So although we are seeing it move up and up and up in a methodical fashion, there certainly is that rocket fuel there that could push it higher. But this time, the question is, will they stop it? Do they want to stop it? And even if they do, how? 
you can't raise rates to stop it like Volcker did. And, and uh, you know, in terms of what they did to the Hunt brothers, maybe they changed the rules. I don't know. I look at it as very bullish. To me, you want slow and methodical. You want the tortoise. You don't want the hare. The hare runs out of, out of breath and collapses like we saw in 11 and like we saw in 08. We want a slow, steady base build that continues to build strength underneath it in an environment where physical silver is becoming impossible to get at that level. So I find it to be very encouraging, to be honest with you. Yeah, and you mentioned the positioning by the banks and silver recently will be certainly interesting to see how this week's report comes out because fortunately the COT that's released on Friday will cover today's move and also the uh, day last week, I believe it was Thursday when silver moved up almost a dollar. So we will see if there was more shorting on that recent move up. We'll tell us a fair amount. And one other note uh, on what you mentioned here, I think you said around 17 to 21 trillion by 2011. We were still back in the 14 to 15-ish range, though a uh, rough data point I always remember is during the Bush years, we went from 5 to 10 between 2000 and 2008, then over Obama's term gets doubles again from 10 to 20. So certainly getting into that exponential portion of the curve, <clears throat> which again is why so many of us are looking to things like gold and silver as protection. And, and look at that chart, Chris, go back to 1980 and you can see why it would have been easy to raise rates. I mean, yeah, you're going to blow up the economy and you're going to really, you're going to, you're going to create some problems, but at that level, you don't blow up the government. You don't blow up the debt. You don't blow everything up because there was virtually in comparison today, no debt. And uh, we're giving more money to the Ukraine, it seems, than we had in, in the debt back then. So that's really the issue is that we have now exhausted the ability to, to do something like that without creating a, a, a catastrophic event. You would literally blow up everything in this country, stocks, bonds, and real estate, bang, just like that would be gone if he tried to raise rates to 20% like Volcker did. So those options are pretty much off the table unless you call it the nuclear option and you reset the whole system. Klaus Schwab may like that, but I don't think, uh, I don't think Fed Chairman Powell has that uh, in mind. Yeah, and I still think before it's all said and done, I, I wonder if that's not an inevitability, whether that might be a bit farther out than uh, some might think yet. <laughs> you wonder how all this gets resolved, obviously, during debt ceiling negotiations. Never was much talked about, well, how do we ever repay this? So imagine that we'll keep going, uh, obviously, with the current spending levels on track to do so. Although, do want to shift over to some news that we, we referenced in the beginning. But in the last couple of days, we've seen 14 million ounces of silver in J.P. Morgan's vault transfer from eligible to registered, which leaves their eligible category now at just under 14 million if you subtract out what they're holding for SLV. So a big jump there. Again, this is obviously ahead of the September deliveries in just a couple of days. So we see, uh, I'll back us out to the one year that has gotten down to that 27 level, jumped up uh, there, jumped up again before July, and we're seeing a similar jump here same time, we had a note from Bob Coleman yesterday mentioning that the shares available to borrow in SLV just collapsed. Um, in July, there was as much as 8 million shares available to borrow. August, there were 4 million. That just collapsed to 500,000 
shares as of yesterday. So some big shifts in the industrial piles and just curious if you have any thoughts on that, if there's anything that you're seeing from the, the people that you've been talking to and what you could shed some light on there. Yeah, I think Bob Coleman's a smart guy. I follow him um, on on X, or you call it X now, uh, on Twitter. I, I think he comes up with some great insight. Um, so kudos to him. Uh, as far as the JP Morgan shifting all of that metal into um, registered, I mean, it's my belief that there's probably already been a deal made. It's not that they're putting it into register to offer it up for sale. My guess is it's already been sold. And they, when you deliver off of Colmex, you have to transfer from eligible to registered. I mean, as an example, I have a, we have a Brinks program with 10 or 11 vaults all around North America. Of all of the vaults we have, the one in New York City, JFK, is a Colmex depository. Out of all of them, it's the only one that is. And I have clients in there with over a million ounces of silver. A few of them each have over a few million ounces in thousand ounce bars. Those bars are eligible, meaning they are eligible if the client decides to register them, they are eligible. They have been assayed and meet the criteria of a good delivery bar by the COMEX standards. Eligible, ain't for sale. But if they decide, hey, I want to sell it because someone's offering a big premium, maybe it's Elon Musk or whatever, hypothetically, they have to be transferred first to registered. Well, if they transfer them to registered, then they are for sale. But what if the deal was already made and they are going to take possession of this copious amount, 13, 14 million ounces of silver, some entity, a client of JP Morgan's, let's say, is going to take possession? Well, you would have to transfer it first to registered. Now, the question is, is it going to leave the ecosystem? If we see these bars leave the ecosystem, it fits part and parcel with what I've been saying for the last three years, that there are entities of great sophistication that are leaving the COMEX ecosystem. It is a one-way ticket. When you take possession of those bars outside the system, you have now, in essence, cut off their industrial liquidity. They would need to be reintroduced into the system and reassayed at a considerable time cost and actual physical cost of assaying those bars. So when they leave, they're not coming back. Question is, is this for delivery on a deal that's already been prearranged um, with JP Morgan? My inclination is yes, it is that they will be delivered. They've already arranged that because typically when we see these big spikes, like you know, a few weeks ago, we saw it go from 20, over 27 million ounces to well over 30, 34, 35, whatever the number was. And you and I were talking about it at the time, but then it went right back down again. Does that mean that someone took possession of it? Yeah, absolutely it does. And I don't know that it has anything to do with them offering it up for sale or not. I guess uh, we'll have to see how that all plays out. But in terms of what you were talking about, about SLV shares, the the shares that are, are eligible to be loaned or lent against or naked shorted um, that Bob talked about, um, I found a... a, a an explanation of that. I'm going to read it to you here. It says, over the past month, JP Morgan Chase has been steadily retracting borrowable shares of SLV to ensure that they have sufficient physical silver on hand to meet delivery obligations for contracts. Oh my gosh, what does that sound like? The delivery obligations for contracts that just ended up in registered? Could that be? Hmm, maybe. Uh, they only need to transfer the surplus silver acquired from retracting these SLV shares, which they did, to the registered category, 
which they did a few days prior to delivery, which they are doing because the first delivery delay, I think, is just in a couple of days here, September 1. So um, hence, as the delivery date draws near, J.P. Morgan Chase would make concerted efforts to shift silver into the registered category. And, and a coincidence, inter interestingly enough, is that we have been seeing a substantial drawdown off of SLV. And this is one of the preferred ways for the commercial banks to do these covert maneuvers that carry much less scrutiny and attention than moving things in and out of registered uh, and eligible do. So yes, I think it is explainable. Uh, I personally believe it to be bullish. I don't think that they are dumping this onto the market. I think it's already, there. there there's a deal already in place and this is just gonna leave the system. If it leaves registered and leaves and doesn't go into another eligible account inside of COMEX, to me, it becomes exponentially more bullish. I guess we'll have to see over the next few days. Yeah, and one question on what you mentioned in there about having a couple people that have accounts where they're storing their silver and eligible and whether they people might or entities might shift that at a higher price. Obviously, don't reveal any client confidentiality. And again, you don't know what each person is thinking, but just to the degree that you are talking to people like that, do you have any feel for, is there, you know, if we get $30 silver that some of these types of holders might be willing to sell or, or they're the type of people that have those accounts, not looking to sell anytime before 50. Do you have any feel for what kind of price would make some of these types of clients be willing to sell or shift their metal into registry? Well, I think if you see $50 level breached, a lot of people will give it strong consideration. You know, as we've talked about before, that's kind of this mythological bar that everyone is trying to beat. That's kind of like the 500 home run club in baseball, you know, get over 500 home runs. You're pretty much guaranteed the hall of fame. Well, that's the bar here. I think you get above 50 bucks and now you're in uncharted territory. So I'm not sure, but I think maybe more, more um, appropriate way to answer that question would be if we see a ratio between silver to gold really break down and get into you know somewhere below the 40 to 1 range, I think you would see a lot of people sell silver and shift to gold. And because I think when you reclassify gold as a tier 1 reserve asset, and you see the central banks buying gold, not to diminish silver whatsoever. I think it's the most undervalued asset on the planet. I think it's the play of a generation. But you could argue that a lot of people are holding large amounts of silver and playing this gold to silver ratio. I think that would pull just as many people out of silver and, and, and incite them to sell and switch to gold as you would seeing silver breach 50. I think you could look at either one of those outcomes or both of them and you would see some selling in silver. But typically, most of the people, I'll be straight with you, I haven't had those discussions with either of my two very large clients who have these huge portfolios there, or any of my clients really finding a number. And I will also add to that, that this is why they say there is no bull market like a metals bull market, Chris, because you know, using conventional wisdom, if this was Apple stock or whatever it was, and we reach that bar, that level where, you know, we're in, in rarefied air. Yeah, you'd be foolish to not want to sell it, take some some gain, maybe leave some of the in, initial investment there and reallocate your money into something of better value. 
But when it comes to metals, the higher the price go, it only reinforces people's mentality employed as to why they bought it in the first place. And um, it, the higher the price goes actually frightens people more that, geez, I was right. The dollar's in trouble. The world's accumulating silver, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the opposite. The higher it goes makes you more concerned and frightened that, geez, I was right all along, that things are not looking good. So it's not about making a profit as much as it is saving your ass. And um, I think that's one of the things that differentiates a precious metals bull market from a traditional bull market because uh, traditional bull market, it's about making profit. This side of the thing uh, of the coin where you're talking metals bull market, it's about validation that the world is in trouble and you're less likely to want to dump it at that level. So it's an interesting phenomenon altogether uh, in a very long answer. I think it's either above 50 bucks, you'd see a lot of selling or, or certainly interest in it, but more so, I think the ratio between gold and silver breaching 40, you would see a lot of people shifting to gold. Makes a lot of sense. And Andy, there's something I've been meaning to run by you the last couple of weeks. This is news that came out uh, about two months ago, yet something we didn't get a chance to talk about. And that was Texas. Now, this has not gone through, but they were looking to invest $5 billion into precious metals, $4 billion worth of gold, a billion worth of silver, Again, we'll see if that manifests, but wondering how hard would that be for them to acquire a billion dollars worth of silver? Any thoughts on how they might do that or what form? Well, I mean, the only way that they would do that would be slow and methodically. Um, and if this really came out in July and they were talking about it, maybe they've been trying to accumulate it slowly and methodically for several months or maybe they've already started if you tell the world we're going to buy a billion worth of silver you have just created a a problem because people will try to front run that you'll end up talking yourself right out of your trade in the respect that you know when you're talking a a a finite pool of of availability a billion dollars is not just a chunk change certainly not to mention $4 billion in, uh, or what is it, uh, $4 billion worth of gold. This is not chump change. I'm assuming they would have to do it um, primarily in COMEX bars. The gold side of things wouldn't be as hard as the silver side would be. Uh, but Texas has led the way for a very long time. You can go back to uh, Mark, I think Mark Bass is his name. What's his last name is Bass. I forgot his first Kyle name. Bass. Kyle Bass. So he ran the fund that, that took care of the uh, Texas um, uh, school teacher uh, endowment fund. And, and I think they bought somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars worth of gold. And they bought it in GLD and then took possession of it. You have Texas leading the way with uh, allowing gold and silver to be legal tender for all debts, public and private. You have them talking about making this new currency back, this cryptocurrency or this, this digital currency backed by gold and silver. It would not surprise me whatsoever to see that they're serious. They built the Texas Bullion Depository. They're leading the way in this country in terms of their appreciation and understanding of freedom, of liberty, of the way that the Constitution defines money. All of these very, very, very important things that have been lost on the public, certainly not lost on our leaders who have tried to push us away from what the founding fathers described as money. In fact, they call it treason to produce anything other than species, which is gold and silver as money. But Texas is bringing us back there. How do they do it? 
slowly and methodically and quietly. And you wouldn't, maybe you make that announcement and then that's the last thing you hear until it's filled. Because when I have a very, very, very large order, um, like we talked about, we did two, mil two orders last year of over $50 million. And when I try and fill those orders, if, if I'm buying a million silver eagles, I am not telling every dealer I talk to that's what I'm doing. I say, what do you have? I'll take as many as you have. And I quietly call another dealer. You do not broadcast it or you end up crowding yourself out of your trade. So I would not put it past them. They have led the way and they've already shown us that they view precious metals as money. And, uh, and, and God bless them for doing that. But I don't think you'll hear about how it will be accomplished until after it's accomplished, because that's how you would do it. You tell the world what you're up to and prices go up, availability goes down. It would be the wrong thing to do. And if they're, if they're articulate in, in this market, they will understand that. My guess is that's exactly what they're doing. And that's why it's gone dark. You're not going to hear anything until it's filled or near filled. And then they'll tell us how they did it. Yeah, and of course, we have Bill Holter down there in Texas, so we never know who he's talking to and uh, maybe encouraging some investment there. Joking as I say that, but... Uh, uh, I would He'd be one of the guys that I'd go to. Well, could imagine. Uh, one last one before we wrap up here today, Andy. Just uh, any updates on premium levels over the past week? I know Silver Eagles had been ticking back a little higher, but anything that has changed since we last spoke? Yeah, Silver Eagles are going up. Uh, they've gone up again, another 15 cents. Quietly, they are moving higher. They represented such a horrible value for the past three years and all of a sudden became a decent value. And that has not been lost on the public. They have gobbled them up in a voracious fashion. And quite frankly, I think it's a smart idea. I look at the 2023s as being an incredibly low mintage year. Go back and look at the 1996 Silver Eagles, which had such a low mintage in the Premiums on them are super high. I could see something like that with this 2023 issue, uh, but they are climbing indicative of, of massive demand and um, pent up demand where people were fine. I'll buy bars or fine. I'll buy kangaroos or whatever. Not really what they wanted. And then again, you look at a state like Texas who says all American made coins uh, past or present would be used as legal tender for all debts, public and private. They're one of the few that says only American. Most of the states have any government issued, sovereign mint issued, past or present silver coin. But here again, if I had my druthers 10 times out of 10, I'd buy the silver eagles over anything as long as the premiums were low enough. And I've been consistent over four, almost four years. I told everyone, don't buy them. They're too expensive. Even where they are right now, I think they are a decent buy. Uh, every company in America, six bucks or higher, we can do a little better than that for your listeners. But the point of it is, is that um, it's, a, it's a situation where I think you will see rising premiums over the next several months. And all it will take will be one bank bail-in, a bank failure and a bank bail-in. And I believe Moody's and S&P, did what they did to clear their conscience to say, we put it on record. There is going to be bank bail-ins. There is going to be more bank failures. And you know the reverse repo market, which Rafi talked about a few months ago, saying, well, they're probably gonna stop allowing the money markets to invest in the reverse repo market, but they didn't do that. They are continuing to allow the, the big banks to invest the money market funds into the overnight reverse repo market at a rate higher than a one-year CD in a regional bank 
who's only paying a half a percent on average or less in a savings account. And they're all in big trouble. That sucking sound you hear in the background is all of the money leaving the regional banks. And as more and more strain gets put on these banks, as there's a run on the banks that's probably already happening, but they're not telling us about, these banks are forced to sell their longer duration securities, their 10-year treasuries which in and of itself pushes rates up, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It will obliterate the banks, all of its coin chasing yield and safety in a bank that won't be bailed in, that is not systemically, at least according to Janet Yellen, too big to fail. It's gonna happen. And when that happens, and I swear I see it happening as clearly as, as, as anything, and maybe it's PNC, maybe it's Schwab, who is it? I don't know. These banks have 100, 100, Schwab has 130%, I believe, or in that neighborhood of their assets, the value of their assets in this, this short-term lending program that's due back in, in um, like six months. They were just underneath Silicon Valley Bank on the chart of those banks that are in trouble. So you see a bank like that fail and, and the government finally does what the Dodd-Frank law said they're supposed to, let it be bailed in and watch what happens in this country? People will lose their freaking mind and freak at a level. It'll be the first thing that's happened in a very, maybe ever in my career where people finally wake up and say, holy shit, this is real. I don't care what's happening in the bricks. I don't care what's happening in the market or the realist. All of that stuff is there and is very relevant, but the people haven't seen any of it. What will they see? when their money is evaporated and goes bang like that into a bail-in process where the realization that the American consumer who has money in a bank is actually an unsecured general creditor, not a depositor, but an unsecured general creditor of a bank that is making horseshit bets with your money and now you have to bear the burden for it. When that happens, you will see chaos like you have never seen. And that will be the moment that I have seen in my mind's eye forever, the supply demand Rubicon. When the public says, where do I go? Where do I, oh my God, silver, gold, bang. And it's gone that fast, it will disappear because all of these delivery issues that we've had, Chris, and the supply issues that we've had, it's been the, the pimple on the elephant's ass that's getting a little bit bigger by the day, but not the elephant. That elephant has has really never even thought about gold and silver. And while this is something that you and I beat ourselves up on all the time, thinking that everyone sees what we see, believe me, Chris, when the public wakes up and finally understands what's going on, the information that you've been giving for the last couple of years, they'll be like, where the hell, how have I not found this guy before? Why have I not looked at this before? Because it's one thing to talk about what's happening to the markets and the, the instability and the, and the potential danger. It's another thing to say that since we were little kids putting pennies in a piggy bank, everything that we ever learned about a bank is that it's safe. And you know what? Most people in this country don't even know what a bail-in is. Most people have never heard of Dodd-Frank. Most people don't know that bail-ins were written into the Dodd-Frank law. Most people don't know that they are an unsecured general creditor. Why would they worry about keeping a half a million in their or a million bucks in their in their savings account? Well, they will realize very quickly, as will everyone else who stands by watching a burning car wreck. Oh my gosh! And how fast will they run to their local branch to pull their money out immediately? And then what happens? It begets more, which begets more, which begets more selling of the treasuries and the mortgage-backed securities that are on the balance sheet, which raises rates higher, which puts more strain on the banks and everyone's running to them. Do you see how this rapidly 
spirals out of control. And you know what's interesting? Kristalina Georgieva, the head of the IMF, you know what she said? The problem with the U.S. banking system is regulation, that the people are able to pull their money out of the banks too quickly with the click of a mouse. Watch what happens this time if you see a bank bail-in. And I believe, I'll put it on record, I really, really, really believe that's coming. You know what? That's exactly what Lael Brainerd, modern monetary theorist number two in charge at the uh, in terms of economic advisory at the White House wants. It's coming, I'm telling you, and, uh, and you ain't seen nothing yet. So these are, these are interesting times for sure, as the Chinese curse says, but uh, I honest to God believe that we haven't seen anything yet. We have, we see it. But all of those people out there not watching this show, but all the people, your family and friends, for all you people out there who you've been trying to warn about precious metals and what's going on and help noble cause falls on deaf ears. This will certainly open up their earbuds and they will be listening to what you have to say. Where did you buy it? Where did you buy it? Who are you listening to? Help me. And, and I believe that's coming. So maybe I'm being a little dramatic here. But I think it's coming. I think bail-ins and more bank failures are, are on the horizon. And I think S&P and Moody's did that to clear their conscience. Here we go. Buckle up. Well, got a little taste of that earlier this year and does not seem like we've seen the last of those issues. Yes, so. but we got bailed out, which was illegal. And real quick, I know you want to wrap this up and I got to go here too in a minute. But here's the deal. Um, they bailed them out. And no one asks except for the the uh, senator and the Republican, uh, the, the Republican congressman who said to the head of the bank, why did you have $14 billion in checking accounts, 10 of them, for three years? Why did you have $14 billion in 10 checking accounts? Where was risk management for the business, for the bank? Where was the FDIC then? Who would have ever allowed $1.4 billion on average in 10 accounts in a checking account for three years in Silicon Valley Bank, earning zero interest with a 250,000 guarantee. Where was risk management? Is there something a little bit wrong with the fact that that bank was bailed out instead of bailed in? Should these people not have felt the consequence of completely ignoring the law in terms of what is uh, bailed in and bailed out? The whole thing stinks to high heaven as far as I'm concerned, but think about that for one minute as we leave here. 10 checking accounts over three years held $14 billion in them. No FDIC insurance above 250, zero in the way of interest. How about put all that money into treasuries with no bank risk, earning 10, 20, 30 times what they were getting in a checking account? This whole thing reeks to high hell and there's a fine line between conspiracy and reality. But I'm telling you this, what was lost on everyone in March and April was that those banks were bailed out. And that was not what Dodd-Frank said. Janet Yellen said, well, they're too systemic. We needed to make a decision to protect the system. Bullshit. They should have been bailed in and lost it all. Like some unsuspecting members of this country, of the of citizens of this country are going to face in the next coming months or sooner. So anyways, at least I put it on record saying I believe that's going to happen. And I hope it doesn't. But for those of you who have over the FDIC limit in any regional bank. What the hell are you doing? Time to move. So anyways, Chris, it's always good to see you. I can't wait to see you in person here uh, real soon. And uh, of course, I'll look forward to checking back in with you next week. Yeah, and Andy, before I let you go, just for anyone who is in the market for silver, anything on special that they can look at? <laughs> 
Yeah, I believe we're doing the one ounce silver rounds. Let me double check here. I believe it's the one ounce silver rounds at 250 over spot, but let me make sure. Um, Asahi. No, they're Asahi silver rounds, which are some of my favorite. I hope you can see the picture. There it is right there. Asahi silver rounds, 250 over spot. Asahi is probably the highest quality uh, round in the industry, or certainly one of them. The old Johnson Matthew Corporation. So, uh, 250 over spot for the Asahi Silver Rounds, and they are in stock ready for immediate delivery. All right. Well, Andy, thank you as always. I know you have another call coming up, so we'll let you run, but appreciate this. Love week. you, brother. I'll see you soon. Thanks for having me, Chris. Well, thank you, Andy. Appreciate the update as always, and thank you to everyone who's watching at home. Hopefully, you found that update helpful, especially as we've seen some silver on the move in the last couple of days. and head of the next delivery cycle, which will be beginning in just a couple of more days. So that will provide another clue of where things are headed from here. So certainly we'll keep you posted on that. And real quick, before we wrap up, we'd just like to thank BlackRock Silver, who brought us today's show. Obviously, BlackRock Silver has its flagship project at Tonopah West, where they released a maiden resource estimate that came in with over 42 million ounces of silver equivalent last April. They've done step out drilling to the Northwest in the time since then. Next drill program will be doing some infill drilling in that location, which will be part of helping them to update this resource estimate where they are expecting to be adding tonnage to what they have already found here. So especially for those of you who are into the silver mining stocks, BlackRock Silver, a company to be aware of as they have continued to have success, not just at Tonopah West, but also their Silver Cloud location, as well as their lithium project where they found mineralization at Tonopah North, have a joint venture going with Tierlock Resources, all of which you can find out more about at blackrocksilver.com. So again, thank you to BlackRock for helping us to bring you the show each day and going to wrap up for now, but thanks for being here. Hope you're having a great day out there and I'll see you again tomorrow.